tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 has any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio Well, there you all are, interrupting the conversation I'm having with the voice in my head. <laughs> oh, he always reminds me, yeah, we're here. We're supposed to do a show now. It's, it's oh, well. <laughs> I'm we just kidding. It's fun to talk to you. Obscure cities in Illinois. Yes, we were talking about obscure cities in Illinois, which won't, uh, <laughs> which won't, which won't work. Uh, for the, Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed art thou, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, rest cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And Lord, while we got you on the line, I, I, again, I want to ask you to bless those, those two the two little girls who are in harm's way. Bless their family and bless them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wish I could tell you more about that situation, but it's a little bit delicate, so I don't want to go into it. But moving along, let us open the big book on the coffee table. Now, I, I, in looking at the letter to the Romans, I'm, well, let me, let me explain. This is tough stuff. This is very hard for us to understand because in a way you have to think Talmudically. Not not Talmud, but Talmudically. Let me explain. Talmud is a very important book in Judah. It's not a book. It's about 23 or 24 books. It's huge. Uh, it's called the Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud. And the word Talmud in in uh, uh, Hebrew means the study. A Talmud is a disciple. And um, uh, the Talmud is, is oh dear, here we go. Father Branken occasionally calls this the Catholic Talmud hour, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to jump into it. Because Paul was an educated Talmud. He was, he was a student of Gamaliel and the Talmudic approach to things is very exacting. It's very precise. I remember talking to Rabbi Lefkowitz, and uh, uh, I said to him, uh, if Jesus was not who we Christians claim him to be, he would still be one of the greatest scholars in Jewish history. Uh, and he said, do tell. Because, you see, there's no text of Scripture 
in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, understand that the Torah, the law, uh, the Torah really means the instruction. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, as we call it in Greek, but uh, first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, they're called also. They, in the view of Orthodox Jews and at the time of Christ, are utterly infallible. Uh, they were dictated to Moses. You mean even the parts about his death? Yep, yep, they will say God dictated the parts about his death to Moses before Moses died. They're that intense about Torah. The rest of Scripture, well, it's negotiable. You say, well, it says in your Bible, in Isaiah, well, yeah, but that's Isaiah. Everything else is commentary on Isaiah, how, or on, on Torah, <clears throat> in a certain sense. It's inspired, but not infallible. Uh, so I, I think for, for us, the Bible is inspired and inerrant, you know, it, 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 in its category. For instance, the poetry is poetry. It isn't history. We don't, we don't have the, the, the uh, legalist or, or uh, literalist position when we talk about uh, the Bible, but, but we do believe that it is inspired. And in the sense of conveying the truth of God, we would, we would say it is inerrant. However, uh, that isn't to say that seven days doesn't mean something other than seven periods of 24 hours, though it could mean seven periods of 24 hours. I don't know. I wasn't there. Okay, let me see if I can find my way back to the 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 uh, the uh, the track that I'm on. The the uh, um, uh, the Talmud is a commentary on the oral law. The Jews believed that. There was the written law of Moses, and then the elders went up the mountain with Moses and ate and drank with God, and Moses and well the Lord gave them the the more precise uh, instruction on how to carry out uh, the the laws, especially the ritual laws. So what you have is this book called the Talmud, the study, because they decided to write down this law, lest it be forgotten, this oral law. And the oral law is called the Mishnah, which is which is Hebrew for the retelling. So these are the things that, <clears throat> these are the, the rules by which they had interpreted the Torah all those years. Now, if you see a copy of the Talmud, you'll see in the center, in, in uh, mostly Aramaic, you will see, I think it's mostly Aramaic, um, remember, I'm, I'm I'm a Catholic priest, not a rabbi. Well, you'll see this this center section. Then all around it, you will see commentary. That's called the Gemara. Now, for us, this is not inspired. We don't believe the Talmud is inspired. I would say Jews probably don't even believe the Talmud is inspired, but it is normative. And and but what is interesting for us as Christians is the means of thought, uh, the 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 logical conclusions that are reached in Talmud in this method of thinking. All right, I, I mentioned Lefkowitz as I said a little bit ago that were Jesus not who we claimed him to be, he would still be one of the most amazing Jewish thinkers because he proves from Torah that there's life after death. 
Well, how can you do that? Well, when he talks to the Sadducees and he says, um, you err not because you know not the scriptures, not the power of God. In the section about the bush, he says, I am the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And whoa, that, that am, you see that one word am, uh, <clears throat> which is... Um, in Hebrew, I believe it's a yeah, which can have a couple of meanings. But that word, uh, um, it's it's filled with meaning. Every word is is filled with meaning. Uh, and I actually got Rabbi Lefkowitz to raise one eyebrow when I said that. We we look at the letter to the Hebrews, which I you know it is not popular among scholars to say it may have been written by Saint Paul, but I wouldn't be surprised because in some ways it's very similar to the letter of the Romans. He uses the Torah to prove the resurrection, which is not in Torah, as far as anyone can see. He proves a priest-king Messiah, which is not in Torah. He proves a, a, a dying and rising Messiah, which is not in Torah. And a human and divine Messiah, which is not in Torah. You see, the Jews weren't expecting what Jesus claimed to be and what the, the early church claimed him to be. He was more than that. And, well, I, I remember Rabbi left of it saying, um, I mentioned to him about that statement in Talmud that, that when the when the Messiah comes, all the, the sacrifices of the law, except the Thanksgiving sacrifice, will pass away. And he said, uh, yeah, but the Messiah is going to have to show us where it says that in Torah. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that um, it's a very precise way of thinking. We don't think that way. However, what we see in the letter of the Roman, a very Talmudic, a very, say, disciplined. If a Talmud is a disciple and a Talmud is the study, this is Talmudic. It's disciplined, disciplined. Have you ever thought that the word disciplined comes from the word Latin word for student? All right. <clears throat> disciple, discipline. All right. And so he goes on. You're not to present the parts of your bodies to sin. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, because he moves on to, to present yourselves to God as raised from the dead to life and the parts of your body as weapons. And that's a, that word is weapons, hopla. It, it, it's a, a Greek soldier called a hoplite. He carried 60 pounds on him and it was weapons. Uh, so I, I think that's a very important um, uh, thing to realize. Uh, so... Um, we don't, we don't, you know, I, I talk about it a lot, uh, about how freedom is, is the very, um, um, it's the very uh, groundwork of love. If I have to love you, if you force me to love you, I can't love you. You know, if by your physical strength you force me to be in a relationship with you, or by your wealth you force me to be in a relationship with you, or or any any kind, that the love is 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 not possible because there's no freedom. So love has to be absolutely free. So that's what he's talking about here. Uh, and the law he's saying now this would infuriate. I think this would infuriate. Uh, um, uh, a lot of Orthodox Jews, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Well, that word under means, well, it, I don't want to go so far as to say slavery, but he, he mentions this. Do you know, if you present yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're the slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? 
So he's talking about the law as 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 something that points out our failure, our sin. Uh, but we have more than the law; we have grace. And I remember asking Rabbi Levkovitz, "What was the the Hebrew word for grace?" And it's it's very difficult to, to pin down a word for grace in Hebrew. It might be chesed, which is loving kindness, which is more than the law requires. Um, uh, there are words that can be translated as grace, but this concept of grace uh, is, is, I don't want to say it isn't a, a Hebrew concept, but it's, it's, not, it's not the dominating idea that it is for us. And that's the, that's this is a radically new idea that Saint Paul is is presenting in in the tradition of Israelite thought that grace is superior to law. Well, the people throughout history have interpreted that as well. That means I can do anything I want. On the contrary, Saint Paul doesn't say that. He he he, he says you have to become uh, um, obedient to the Lord. Uh, instead of being a slave to sin and you know i think i think that you know i i i'm i've been uh, a listener a relevant radio listener um has communicated with me and wants me to talk a little bit about the drug problem is particularly fentanyl and uh you know i'm i'm working on it because i i don't know a lot about this but fentanyl is a horrible drug she lost someone very dear to her um due to fentanyl and uh um She's amazed that people are not aware of it. Fentanyl is a an artificial uh, form of opium, but it's I think it's fifty times stronger than heroin. What's wrong with drugs? What's wrong with that? They they enslave you. What's wrong with with uh, um, indiscriminate sex? It enslaves you. What's wrong with with excessive alcohol? It enslaves you. That that. Slavery is is the opposite of 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 grace, that that it makes it impossible to love, and so often what we call love is actually a kind of slavery. You know, I think of all those songs from the fifties about, uh, you know, that one that uh, somebody talked about how awful it was, and is occasionally used at mass. I will follow him wherever he may. It's it's a, a love song about a woman who will. Do anything for this idiot that she's dating. There, the fifties were full of that song, that kind of song. Uh, how absolutely devoted you had to be, no matter what kind of cretin or or or. Uh, I don't. I can't. I, that'll do a cretin. That means someone who's dumb as a doorknob. No matter what kind of idiot you were dating. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the 50s and the early 60s were full of those songs. And that's a slavery. It isn't love. Love is all about freedom. And that's what St. Paul is saying. You know, so many people mistake a kind of uh, slavery to emotion as love. And that's not even love. Uh, so there's so much more to say about this. But um, I'll say a little bit more about this in the word of the day because the voice in my head found an interesting word of the day for me today. And I'll, I'll try and jump into this. Let's go to the gospel just briefly. This is another very difficult passage. Jesus said to his disciples, if the master of the house had known the hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. For an hour you do not expect the son of man will come. Well, who's the thief? Who's the master? Um, th this seems to be an unsequitur. A thief is a bad thing. And the son of man will come. You don't expect him. But he's comparing himself 
to a thief. I really think that that's what he's saying. And Peter said, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? Peter's saying what Peter often said. I don't get it. He said, who then is the faithful and prudent steward? And that word is an interesting word. It's ekonomos, someone who's in... Uh, in um, He's the, the, the head the head housekeeper. You know, a wealthy establishment might have what they call a housekeeper. It isn't just someone who dusts the piano. It's someone who manages the servants. He manage, he or she manages the, uh, the entire concern of the house. And who is the, who is the, the, the faithful and prudent uh, um, house manager who put in charge of his servants? Uh, who, who is it? He doesn't answer. Uh, well, it's 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 the one who does his job. You know, um, I remember when I was a young man working in a factory, a paint factory, and and we would get these jam ups of of large pallets of paint. Maybe I shared the story with you. And we had a, a foreman who would jump on the lift truck and clear it all up. And I remember mentioning that to man who um, was a VP for a. Uh, a technical uh, faucet factory, and uh, he just shook his head. And I said, what? Because I thought this was great. This guy just jumped into the, the trenches like a normal guy. He said, he's the best-paid forklift driver in Chicago. In other words, if he had been doing his job, those jam-ups wouldn't happened. You know, I, I think it's very important that... that, that um, and I don't know what relationship this has to the first part of the parable, but, but I think it's very important that we understand we are not saved by good works. We're saved by the works of faith. In other words, if I do your job, that's not, that's not going to make me righteous. Obedience is what makes me righteous. That's what St. Paul is saying in that reading. In other words, if, if, um, if I do your job and I don't do my job, I'm not obeying God. I'm obeying you. And, and you know, there are people who want to steal us from the service of God. And they'll say, oh, you got to come to this meeting. This is very important. This is God wants you to come to this. Well, let me pray about it. No, no, this is God. you got to come to this. It's really important. It's important to you. Maybe it's not important to me. Maybe God doesn't want me there. Let me pray about it. You know, when someone wants to rush you into something, it's usually not God, <laughs> at least in my meager experience. You see... The thief is the person not only who steals things, but he, he steals the obedience that we owe to God. Uh, this might be just a little convoluted, but I, I think that this is true. If someone says to you that you must do this task in church, you must do that, you can say, let me pray about it. And and I mean that sincerely. Don't say don't use it as a means to get out of responsibilities. Just honestly say, Lord, you want me to do this. And then, if you feel that God wants you to do this, think of the reasons. Well, uh, it is a biblical thing. It is a need. It's a skill I have. And I'm getting a prompting from the Holy Spirit that maybe I should. Okay, I'll be there. Or like, whoa, 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 I just feel that this isn't right for me at this time. That's legitimate too. Your obedience is owed to God, not to time bandits, the people who will steal the most precious thing you have, which is time. So just some thoughts on that. Um, again, uh, just to end this, oh, good grief, I've gone too long. Uh, to end this, um, um, uh, the... Um, uh, 
the idea that that um, uh, when you least expect it, the master will come. I get a big kick out of all these people who say, the Lord is coming next Thursday at 3.30 p.m., that sort of thing. How do they know? Jesus says, no man knows the day nor the hour. And I once had someone say, yeah, but you can know the month. <sighs> crazy do your job the lord will come <laughs> you do your job don't do someone else's don't let someone else do yours do your job serve the lord as he would have you serve him all right let's go to a break we'll do mass hysteria when i come back from the break and uh it'll be fun Oh, 888-914-9149. The producer's doing his job. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I think I've actually heard this sung at Mass, and it's it's a wonderful, fun song, but again, you know, when it's directed to the Lord, I suppose I should follow Him, but boy, that's short of the, that. Yeah, and on Mass Hysteria, I got a video uh, from Paul that I've seen about about it's a beautiful uh, version of the song hallelujah hallelujah by uh, uh what's his name cohen uh it's a wonderful song um leonard cohen um who is um uh kind of strung out but uh yeah dead he's dead the voice in my head says i didn't realize he was dead well it i love the song but again this priest is singing it at this wedding um, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, now the wedding's all about father. You know, I have I have been at weddings and and I've done weddings where <laughs> I, being the celebrant, where this you know uh, um, the bride is forgotten while the celebrant shines. <laughs> I remember doing a funeral once where. Uh, you know, so many priests have their God voice. Oh, God. You know, they talk like normal people, but then when they're praying, they talk like, oh, God. Um, you know, talk to God like, you, you know. Have you ever noticed, though this is totally off the track, uh, we call God in prayer thou. That sounds very grand. Thou is the familiar form of the verb in English. It means like do or or do in Spanish and do in German. You use the familiar form, and that's the last place we use it, so we think it's formal. But if you can't call God you <laughs> uh, uh, in the informal, uh, he, he's the one who knows you best. And, and uh, you know, that, that I remember going to this funeral. It was a tragic death. And the priest was, you know, spread eagle and with the arms. And they called that in the 19th century spread eagle oratory. And, oh, God... And you want to go up and tug the edge of his chasm and say, "Father, the guest of honor is in the coffin." You know that 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 um, um, that it may seem oh, this may seem wonderful, but think about what you're doing again. Think about what you're doing. Mass is the unbloody representation of Calvary, and maybe I'm just a little hard-nosed about this, but but the fact is that that when I do something that draws attention to me. 
as a celebrant or a congregant. I am, I am, well, I don't know. I think blasphemy is too strong a word, but I am, I am uh, drawing attention away from the Lord. And that's a kind of idolatry. Now, how do I do that as a celebrant? By, 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 you know, uh, gimmicks and tap dancing and changing the canon and, you know, and making up my own words and all that, you know, because, well, it's all about me. How do I do that as a congregant? I wear enough cologne to gag a goat and, uh, or perfume, and I wear provocative clothing, um, and, and that sort of thing. I'm drawing attention to myself. You want to dress well at Mass? And I've said this before. I really believe that communion ministers, if you are on to share, to have the great honor of helping with Holy Communion, which is a thing done in most churches now, you do not wear any perfume or cologne at all because you may think it smells like April in Paris. The person whom you're giving Holy Communion may think it smells like a bad afternoon in an industrial park. So you don't want to draw attention to yourself, either by overdressing or underdressing, by <laughs> by failing to bathe or wearing too much cologne. You want to... to to do everything in your power to keep people fixed on the Blessed Sacrament, and that's if you're the celebrant or the congregant. So Mass isn't about you, Father, and it isn't about you, uh, choir director. It isn't about you, choir member. I will never, oh, now I'm off the topic. I will never forget a, a choir member who was an aging soprano who had sung professionally, and her voice had seen better days, and the last note of a song, you would see her back up, and she would sort of charge into the last note of the song, and all you could hear was this glass-breaking shriek, which she thought was wonderful. You don't want to attract attention to yourself. She would literally back up and then kind of run into the last note at the edge of the choir loft. It was really something to see, but or to hear heaven help us oh but now i'm just being gossipy all right let's go to letters all right um i have one about from dan about hand holding um uh, uh he was at a charismatic conference and an acquaintance i went to hold his hand during the our father and i just folded my hands before me i later told him i didn't mean an offense but he said he was just getting into the spirit of the mass well, to me, so was I. <laughs> you know, yet you're not obliged by any canon law or liturgical norm to hold anyone's hand at Mass. And as I said the other day, you can just smile and nod and continue with your folded hands. Uh, they're probably not going to try to wrestle you to hold your hand. Um, then he goes on to say, I always find myself at odds with the modernity of charismatic masses. God in his goodness has graced me with participation in the renewal, but I'm also a stickler for mass being solemn. Uh, say the black can do the red type of thing. Uh, that's the mass to me. Fall down on your face in jubilant adoration. Like the psalm, uh, like uh, the heart that longs for streams of running water. I am on the exact same page with you, uh, Dan. You know, when I was young and very Pentecostal and charismatic and all those sorts of things, I loved a good charismatic mass. 
But then I realized something, that, that people wanted spontaneous masses and structured prayer meetings. A prayer meeting is supposed to be unstructured. I think one of the things that has really hurt the charismatic renewal is that you have leadership groups who really restrict um, uh, the spontaneity of, of the prayer meeting. Uh, I heard the prayer meeting defined once as a gathering of the people of God for the free exercise of the gifts of God. And um, uh, I've been at prayer meetings where a small coterie of people and a few microphones, be they the musicians, the prayer team leaders, all that sort of thing, they did the praying and the rest of the people came to watch them jump up and down in Babel and Babylonian. And uh, it wasn't a prayer meeting, and it, very structured. I think I've shared with you, so I remember a deacon always used to say, Ahora ha llegado la, el momento de la sanación, and he would look at his watch. Now has come the time of healing. In other words, he had to get home. It was getting late, so let's pray for the sick. <laughs> and, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't own a watch. The Mass, however, is a liturgy. It is the, the ceremony of the covenant, and it is it is as strictly structured as a legal contract. Because it is, in a sense, a legal contract. It is the contract that's at the heart of a covenant. You see, covenants are contracts that end only with death. That's, you know, a, a, a contract ends when the business is over. You know, I light the candle. I say the novena. God gives me what I want. Talk to you next time I need you, Lord. Now, I'm very for novenas, and I think candles are a beautiful custom to talk about for another day. But that idea of holding God to a contract, God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do contracts. He does covenants. He does covenants. In other words, a contract is I give you that you might give me. A covenant is I give you myself that you might give me yourself. Hence, this idea of a covenant, it resembles a contract. It's simply in the, in the extent of the, of, of, of the contract. That said, um, the Mass is the ceremony of the covenant. And as as he lays his flesh, his his body, blood, uh, humanity, and divinity on on that altar for me, uh, I lay my body, blood, soul, and humanity on that altar for him and for his church. He I'm giving he gives me himself in in the Eucharist, and I'm giving him myself uh, when I receive the Eucharist, thus entering into communion. So yeah, mass is mass is a legal. A legal arrangement. It isn't the gathering of the people of God to dance about uh, in the forest and, uh, well, you've heard me say it before, and bump into trees. <clears throat> Moving along, I think I can do one more letter real quickly. Um, you know, as someone here talks about um, uh, bad-mouthing the Blessed Mother, uh, I, I read and see on YouTube, many Christians seem to hate or believe that Mary's a pagan goddess. Is it sinful to disbelieve and or talk bad of the Virgin? Yes, it is. It is very sinful. Uh, it's contrary to scripture. In the, in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, we read the Magnificat, all generations will call me blessed. Now, the form of Marian devotion you take, and I, I have grown in my old age to love the rosary more and more, but 
maybe maybe the rose i i I hesitate to say this because i really think the rosary if you don't say the rosary and you discover the rosary you will find what a beautiful and consoling prayer it is but if you don't say the rosary you still have to have a devotion to the blessed mother it's biblical all generations will call me blessed now i've talked to protestants and they who who are evangelical and say we don't hate the blessed mother we just think you catholics worship her we do not worship the blessed mother we pray in union with her and we are grateful to her for the unique role she played in salvation. It was not an arbitrary role. She was chosen uh, to be the mother of the Lord, just as Eve was chosen to be the mother of humanity. Uh, Eve failed in her job. Our Blessed Mother did not, and we are so grateful to her. So yes, it is wrong to not call the Blessed Mother. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, it's wrong not to call the Blessed Mother blessed because all generations will call her blessed all right let's go to a bit of a break we'll come back with a word of the day and uh um you can call in at 888-914-9149 good grief The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. With the spirit of the Lord inside, there's a greater love in me. When I asked him to come in my life, what a difference I could see. That's amen. Now, of course, I'm I'm hesitating because I've clicked on uh, on the section that I wanted for the um, uh, the word of the day, but um, of course, it's not really. Oh, there it is. There we go. No, it's not coming up. Oh, drat. Well, I'll wing it. I'm good at that. Uh, the, the, the section which kind of caught the eye of the voice in my head, my producer, uh, was obedient from the heart. So I looked it up. And it isn't obedient from the heart. It's you have obeyed from the heart. And, of course, well, what's six of one, half a dozen of the other? I don't think so. You have obeyed from the heart. What, I mean, when you think about this, uh, that, that you obeyed from the heart. I remember hearing a story about a little kid, uh, I heard this from a preacher, uh, a little kid who uh, is standing up in his high chair and, and uh, his, his father says, sit down. And um, he says, no, sit down. No, I'm going to come over and make you sit down. The kid's sitting down, but he says, but in my heart, I'm still standing up. <laughs> well, that's that's being disobedient from the heart. The heart in the scripture is the deepest part of you. And what it literally says, you have obeyed from your heart. Uh, um, according to the uh, the... the, the 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 form of teaching that was handed on to you uh you know we there's something called nominal assent and i've shared this before please forgive me but 
it's it's easy to have nominal sin. I believe one God, Father, and Yeah, I think that there's one God, and I can see him being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all those attributes. Okay, yeah, I'm in the club. And you know, a lot of people in the business of religion, we get so busy about, about uh, these things that we forget that it's an obedience from the heart. You follow what I mean? I'm obeying it in my head. You know, I got a meeting at 1230 and then I got to go do a benediction and then, then I, uh, I have a little time, uh, but then uh, tonight I got a meeting with the parish council and yeah, of course I believe this stuff. I don't. The biggest word in the, in, in the creed is in. Have I ever shared that with you? The little words in scripture are the most important ones. I don't believe that God exists. I believe in God. What's the difference? Well, if I say I believe that you exist, you're going to say, Father, I'm glad you're just taking your medication. <laughs> but if I say to you, I believe in you, whoa, that's different. I've put my trust in you. And you see, we can get involved in the business of religion. We can get onto the committee. We can get onto the, uh, um, we can even heaven for fin get a good job at the chancery office with a corner, uh, in a corner office on the third floor. Nice view. Uh, but we're not trusting in. We're saying, yeah, 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 I believe God exists. Let's move on here. You know, and that, that attitude that you're not, you haven't obeyed from the heart. Examine your conscience and ask yourself, am I believing from the heart? Is it, is it my inner man that believes? Do I need God or do I think he needs me? So thanks for the word of the day, uh, dear voice in my head. That was a profound word that you noticed. Let's go to phone calls. Fien is ringing. I do enjoy Inspector Clouseau. I I know I have friends who are French. And they're not they're not really fond of Inspector Clouseau for some reason. Rocco, where's Rocco from? New York, right? Uh, no, from Chicago. Oh, from Chicago. Rocco from Chicago. Oops, different. What can I do for you, Rocco? The French do like Jerry Lewis, and we don't understand why. But um, uh, no, no, they consider you. him a comic genius. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have a question for you. Um, I'm contemplating yes. uh, the existence of angels. And do they exist inside of time or outside of time? Do they have knowledge um, of things to come? Or is mm. that only uh, by the grace of God that imparts that to them? You know, my theory on that would be that it is the grace of God that imparts them to him, uh, to the angels. It imparts necessary knowledge of the future. Um, the, the scripture says about us, we shall know as we are known. You know, how can, you know, everything I know, I know through my physicality. All my input comes from my eyes, uh, uh, my hand, my, my sense of smell. These are all things by which I take knowledge but knowledge is a very physical thing so when my physicality lies safe how will i know anything well the scripture says you will know as god knows in other words in the way that god knows by a spiritual perception you will know and i think you know you won't know all that god knows but the knowledge uh when this body passes away uh the knowledge is infused you know you meet 
people who are mystical like Padre Pio or Solanus Casey who have infused knowledge. They know because they know they know. They don't have to uh, wait until the future happens. The Lord has chosen to tell them this. So I think that probably applies to the angels because these are the victorious angels who have uh, remained in the state of grace, uh, whereas the devils were angels who left the state of grace. So, yeah, I, I think that, that, that they, they, are, they know what God is pleased to tell them about the future. That's my theory. Does that help a little? Um, a little. Uh, do, do you think that the demons, uh, that they just have the foreknowledge of, of uh, you know, who will win the, the victory in the end, that they are uh, predestined, they're, they're destined to be damned forever? No, I... Or do they actually if have, my theory have is knowledge correct. of what... Well, if my theory is correct, that the knowledge that we will have in heaven and the knowledge of the angels who behold the face of God, that that's grace. The devils are not in a state of grace. And yeah, I mean, uh, they I mean don't right know the today. future. I yeah, right they don't know today. the future. Uh, right now today, they don't know the future. Uh, they don't know the future. And uh, an exorcist I was talking to said, they think they're going to win. They they don't know that they lose. That's uh, To me, that's that's kind of chilling. Because the devil is admirably persistent. Jesus mentions that in the scriptures, that the, the children of this world are, are more persistent than the children of the kingdom. You know, that, that, that he, this exorcist told me the devil does not have uh, a knowledge of the future. He might have a more accurate assessment of the future because he knows the past much better than we do. You know, he sees all of history strung out from, from uh, in the past. But uh, he doesn't know he loses in this world. Um, you know, the, the, the time is the measure of change. And in a certain sense, there must be time in the celestial world. Uh, but in this world, time is, is, as we experience it, it is a, it is a linear progression. Uh, not as linear as we thought before Einstein, but, but uh, time always goes forward. It seems never to be able to go backward. But that said, the devil the devil can see all of history because he's been there for all of history, um, and and I, I but I I don't think he knows the future. He can he can um, probably guess it pretty well, knowing all that he does. But this exorcist told me the devil doesn't know he's beaten. That to me is chilling. Does that help a little? It does. Thank you. Good, good. And Rocco, thanks for calling in. God bless and thanks for listening. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Kathleen from California. Kathleen from California, are you with us? I am. Thank you for taking my call. Good. Good morning. Well, well, good morning. I have a question about (laughs) Well, for you, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I have a question about the consecration. Yes, go on. Specifically, so um, it's a Seder dinner, and uh, the timing mm-hmm. in the Mass is that he consecrated the bread at the time of his betrayal, and then, which seemed to be like af- after the very beginning of the dinner, and then, and then specifically it says after the dinner, he consecrated the wine. I would have thought that he would have consecrated both to start dinner, but then again, who would want to drink the wine if he'd just been told 
he just told everybody, this is my blood. Like, that would sort of put people off. So, at any rate, I just want your comments on what is the timing and why well, is it that way? I, I, people really, the great scholars, I'm absolutely mistaken about this, but that never stops me. I maintain that Jesus did not, they talk about the Passover of the Jews. In other words, the Passover of the Judeans. Jesus seems to have celebrated a different Passover. There were different Passovers. The Essenes, for instance, celebrated Passover according to a certain ritual. They had their own calendar, that sort of thing. Jesus, I suspect, uh, he said, I, I've longed to celebrate this Passover with you. And I suspect that it wasn't, you know, if you go to one of these wonderful Passover Seder dinners that, that explain in the relationship to Mass, they are beautiful. But the Seder as we have it now, if you go to a Jewish Passover meal, as we have it now, it isn't the same even as the Passover of the Pharisees. Uh, um, it was a much, much has been added over the centuries. Now, as to when Jesus consecrated bread, we don't know that that the the bread that was given to Judas was uh, was the Eucharist. In fact, is I'm I lean to it not having been the Eucharist because it's called the sop. In other words, uh, the Psalm says, "He who has dipped his hand into the dish with me has betrayed me." That that you took a matzah and you would scoop things up with it the same way you would with a pita and a hummus. Of course, it was not pita. It was it was a pita. It wasn't one of those flatbreads. It was a specific kind of very. It was almost like a cracker, a thick cracker. The matzah, uh, uh, but you would Jesus would not have dipped the blessed sacrament in something to give to Judas. So I suspect it was it was not exactly. Uh, that, that what Judas got was not the Eucharist. But on the other hand, other people theorize it was. We don't know. Now, Mass is not is not a, a replication of the Passover. It is the Thanksgiving sacrifice, which is a, a different thing altogether. That I, I mentioned earlier in the show that all the sacrifices of the law of the Talmud says would pass away, but the Thanksgiving sacrifice, which you offered when you had been delivered from death, and it was the Messianic sacrifice. It was the Messianic, uh, the sacrifice of the Messianic era. And that was celebrated in the temple. You offered a lamb and wine and water and bread uh, on the altar, and then you took home 40 uh, um, loaves of bread, half of them leavened, half of them unleavened. Uh, and you ate them uh, in communion with your neighbors and friends. They had to be eaten on the same day. So to say that Mass is the Passover supper, it isn't quite. The Passover supper was a variety of the Thanksgiving sacrifice. But that Seder as we have it wouldn't have been exactly the way Jesus did it. So my my conclusion is that is, I don't know, I'm not sure. <laughs> All of that to say I'm not sure. I hope that helps a little. <laughs> Well, I think that does. <laughs> Good. You're a patient woman, a patient woman. It's that laid-back California <laughs> life. So, yeah, right. Well, thank you yeah. very much, and thanks so much for listening. God bless you. Okay, who have we got now? Danny from California. Are you with us, Danny? Hi, Father Simon. Yes. I wanted to Good. ask you about... Um, I was having a, a discussion with an acquaintance last night, and... 
he was a subject of, um, I guess, how the Muslims view Jesus as a prophet. And I started defending mm -hmm. uh, our, our Catholic perspective and say, no, well, Jesus is yeah. the you know, person of the Trinity. And, and he would say, no, they respect him as a prophet, etc. But after that debate, I started thinking, because uh, there is reference to Jesus as a prophet in the Bible. I think it's in Matthew 21, 11, when he comes into Jerusalem, the people yeah. are, are they, they behold mm -hmm. the prophet, etc. And I think Jesus also says, where he, he 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 says that a prophet is not respected in his own land, and he's referring yes. to himself. Yes. So, so coming out of coming out of that that discussion that I had with this uh, person, I started thinking: Can we admit that he is a prophet, but not deny his divinity? Oh, sure. Because, well, yeah. well, yeah, oh, yeah. What is what's what's a prophet? Uh, the word prophet, and you know, I shared this before. The the word prophet, uh, we read in the text of scripture in the Old Testament that the seer came to town, uh, seer, S-E-E-R, one who sees. And it says, and that is what prophets were called before. Uh, a seer is one who can see the spiritual world. You, you, in the Old Testament, you have what they call the schools of the prophets. And Saul fell in with a school of the prophets, and, and uh, he lay on the ground naked night and day prophesying. What? What's that about? He was reacting. He was given a vision of the unseen world. I always refer people to Roy Showman's uh, book, uh, uh, Honey from the Rock, in which he had an experience in which he saw the real world. We think this physical world is real. It's real, but it's not it's not the real, real world that, that, that we live in this spiritual reality. And I don't see it, thank God. If I, if I could see the spiritual world, I'd be a wreck because there's, you know, be angels and demons duking it out all around me. Uh, thank heaven, I can't, I'm not a seer. I'm not a prophet. I can't see that world. But a prophet is someone who sees the unseen world. So Jesus, being the Son of God, is the prophet par excellence. He, he comes from that world. He says, no one has seen the Father but the one who's come down from heaven. And, um, you know, that, 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 um, our, our belief in the Trinity, they say, oh, we believe in three gods. And, and no, no, we don't believe in three gods. God exists by definition. God is the greatest reality that exists. The question is, what is the nature of God? And they believe God is a solitude. We believe, as St. John Paul the Great said, that God is a solidarity. God is not uh, alone. God is love. And the revelation that Jesus of Nazareth taught us is that God is love. Hence, God is relationship. And the primal relationship is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they claim we worship uh, three gods. They don't understand that we are talking about the nature of God. One God who is relationship, the relationship of three persons into which we are invited. So, yeah, we can say Jesus, we can admit Jesus was the prophet par excellence. He was the, the one who Moses said, one like me will come after me. But he's a prophet and more. He is the very heart of God given to us for our salvation. So I hope that helps uh, uh, um, that, that uh, the God of Islam, if you really meet the God of Islam, He's not very much like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, certainly not like the God and Father of Jesus. Uh, the God of Islam is, is will. 
whereas we believe God is love. And speaking of God is love, Drew will continue with that theme in just a few moments, so don't go anywhere.